at, you know, the corporate setting or even honestly, I think in the nonprofit setting too, where like you're better able to meet that mission, whatever that mission is. Um, it, it benefits everything from timelines, bottom lines, the well-being of the people, the, the creativity yeah. and innovation that's present. So it's not a it's not a nice to have. It's essential. And if we skip over that relationship piece and rely, as you said, on just the the processes and the tools, to me, it's like trying to cook dinner without salt. It's like, sure, I, I could do yeah. it. I mean, there's something there, but it's not nearly as magnificent or inspired or tasty as it would be if I had all of these ingredients together. Hi, and welcome to the Sunday Lunch Project Manager podcast for Sunday, the 19th of March, 2023. This is your host, Nigel Creaset. And this week, I'm talking to Deb Mashek, the Collabor Hater. Speak soon. Today... I was just I, doing this. Sorry. So I was right. just going to do the... I was just going to do the same thing, like put it in front so I can look, make it look yeah. like I'm So you're looking at, at, at the camera, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. So it's all right. It's all right. Today, I am delighted to welcome Dr. Deb Mashek, PhD. Um, she is an experienced business advisor, professor, higher education administrator, and national nonprofit executive. Previously full professor of social psychology at Harvey Mudd College, she is the author of Collabor Hate, How to Build Incredibly Collaborative Relationships at Work, Even If You'd Rather Work Alone, named as one of the top 35 women in higher education by diverse uh, issues in higher education. She is, f- she is featured in media outlets, including the New York Times, The Atlantic, Business Week, The Heshinger Report, and Fortune. She writes regularly for Psychology Today. And she's the founder of Myco Consulting, LLC, where she speaks, advises, and provides professional development to those who, who are seeking to build better relationships and, and better work, workplace collaborations. So, Deb, thank you uh, for coming on the show, and welcome. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation, Nigel. Yeah, so it, was, it, was, it was a no-brainer from when, when I saw the name of your book to have you on here. Um, tell us a little bit more about that's a little bit that's the bio that's your PR tell us a little bit more a little bit more about you and where you are and things like that. I think people will pick up from the accent that you're not from the UK certainly and obviously uh, well, my accent's a, yeah my accent's a little confusing so I, I live in New York City but I, I grew up in the Midwest in Nebraska so really the middle of the United States and uh, grew up in North Platte, Nebraska, a fairly rural community. So the, the big employers there were uh, Walmart and the Union Pacific Railroad. So right. I, I, it was funny, just I think it was last week I realized um, it never I never knew anybody who was a consultant or who was a CEO or relevant to your audience who was a project manager. It just it's fascinating how um, the lack of awareness about the range of opportunities and the range of communities that are really out there, how it frames what you think you're going to do when you grow up. So I never thought I would be a collaboration consultant, I guess, is the is the bottom line there. An accidental collaboration consultant. Right. Yeah, there's a few accidental project managers knocking around, I know, from the, from the conversations I've had with people, um, including yeah, myself. I was a felt. I was going to say, it's interesting, too, because uh, 
I, I mentioned this at the top of the book that I say my, my three great teachers of collaboration were the trailer park, my parents' alcoholism, and my PhD. So this idea that we, although accidental, uh, you know, you kind of, you start to get shaped in terms of you learn about, in my case, I learned about the value of connecting with other people relationally and uh, had to figure out kind of the nuances of that and then went on to, to study that as my I, my PhD is in the psychology of relationships. So this is totally my jam. And I point to, you know, those early years in the trailer park trying to figure out, you know, this was one of those cases where the parents would kind of boot all the kids out at 9 a.m. and you had to go play together. You had to figure out the social world. There weren't adults telling you what to play or what the rules were or how to how to apologize to Johnny if you upset him or something like that. And so, you know, we were from a very young age working collaboratively to co-create our, our games, our rules, the consequences of violating social norms and doing it all within the confines of this trailer park where there was, you know, the the chain link fence kind of holding us all in. But I really do point to that as my, my early emergence in terms of my interest in collaboration. That, that is actually fascinating, actually, hearing that. And it just pinged off loads of things, that whole thing of the kids going out. And I, I watched my, I know from myself when I, when I was a kid, but uh, it's a long time ago, so I don't have as clear a memory as watching my kids play. And I just realised I've got my... my my youngest is 11 and uh, my niece who's uh, 10 now, 9, 10, I keep forgetting, 9 I think, um, 9 she is. Uh, my well they keep changing, it's, I mean how annoying, yes, they keep changing just, ages, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and they move so quickly because I'm still sitting there thinking she's 6 and I'm like I know she's not 6 but um, and my girl's growing up really quick but I just see them and even my, my eldest with my dad where you'll get a bunch of kids together and if you watch them and you hear the imaginary games they're playing and I never thought about it before and, until you said it there as well in that deep collaborative effort that goes into that, that co-creation of that world of that scenario of the characters and everything there it's like it, it kind of puts to shame a, a Marvel movie and the complexity sometimes when you're watching working out what they're doing there um, and I just yeah, never thought about that before about how those lessons in that we um, learn in doing that through through play, and I've got things like I've got Changing Ninja there, where they talk about Lego Lego series play in different parts of that. When I was talking to Tammy, that 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 Lego series, that that act of play, that ima active imagination, like you say, just well, and there's the other you level. Either, you either make those. Yeah, so there's this other level too, though, because if you're the kid in that playgroup who's being a little jerk and telling everybody, no, this is what the Barbie's going to wear. You know, she can only wear this outfit yeah. or only wear this. Um, that kiddo is less likely to be invited back. So yeah, they, like they're figuring out how not to be jerks because they're able to yeah. administer reasonable social consequences on people who are misbehaving. So the, this idea that we learn how to navigate and figure out some of those norms and um I don't know about what parenting looks like in the UK, but I know in the United States, we have a lot of, you know, parental protectionism or this idea that the parents are the ones who are stepping in and making the rules or saying, okay, Sally, now you should say this to, to Susie so that she feels included. And I totally in a good spirit, like in this way of, you know, trying to, yeah. to show kids the ropes. But one of the things I think we're taking away from our kids when we do that is 
to learn what works and why in those social dynamics. And uh, so I, there's definitely a relationship there between how we play and how we collaborate. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I know that, and, and, and you see the different dynamics and the different groups and different conversations that go on. And I agree we could go down a big rabbit hole of the education <laughs> and, and, and parenting and all that sort of thing around how you, you it's great I have we have got a group of friends that we a lot of us go together and we go off on a holiday and it's one of the few times where you've got and we've got a range of ages from well now they're sort of from when we've been going once like 21 I think the eldest is and the youngest of five or whatever and that that's the range of the kids and then but when they were a little bit clo- younger at age we would we'd be there we've got a, a there is a, a big house that we get together there's eight families 35 of us or something like that and the kids are feral at that point. They just go because they've got, at that point, they've got 16 parents in the building and around. So they're not, you know what I mean? They're not having depending on just on you. They just kind of go, auntie, so-and-so, can you, can you, and, and they've just done done that. It's kind of the deed. But then the kids themselves, they're, they're out and they're just working out games, they're doing it. And they're just that massive group of kids managed to get on and have a great time. And they look out for each other and they know when things have escalated to the point where we need an adult to help because you yeah. know, that kid's foot is on backwards or something like that. But mostly <laughs> they know they're figuring it out. And it means that the parents are often getting a little bit of headspace. I spend my summers on an a old school bungalow colony in upstate New York where it's a hundred families living on a single property. Um, and it's yeah. all like, you know, I, I won't. I don't know how much I should, I'll just say <laughs> it's the same sort of thing where the kids spill out and they're, they're free range. So Lenore Skenazy, who is uh, once titled America's worst mom because she let her 12 year old ride the New York city subway alone, but she initiated this uh, movement called free range parenting. And so people can yeah. learn about her at letgrow.org, but she's on this bungalow colony too. And she, t- she points to it as one of the, um, free rangest places you can imagine where the kids are playing, you know, playing in the mud and climbing the trees and creating really ornate games that my son tries to explain to me what those rules are. And I really don't get it. Um, but yeah, how fun for them. Those are the, those are memories yeah. in the making for sure. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's interesting because and, and, and it, it, um, immediately getting into sort of stuff. It's, I, I sometimes think and, and second guess myself actually and stop myself using um, analogies of, of our kids, of, of kids and the way that kids behave with adults and in the, in the work environment because I think I'm always scared of people going, we're not children, we're grown-ups, yeah, and actually, and then I kind of, kind of retort and sometimes I'd be thinking, well, you're not behaving like grown-ups, but actually, if I think about it properly, they're behaving like humans. I was going to say, we're not children, we're not yeah. grown-ups, we're, we're humans, yeah. we're very social yeah. creatures. And the wiring yeah. that's in there, um, you know, we're learning how to navigate our social world really early on, and we're reinforced for some behaviors more than others, and we carry that learning into the office. It's not like it just, you know, miraculously. Yeah. You know those, I, I find these blowers really annoying that you, you walk into a store and there's a really strong blower and it's to, to keep the insects out. I totally get the point of it. But it's not like when we walk from our personal lives into our work lives 
that somehow there's a, a miracle blower there that gets rid of our habits of thinking and our habits of being and our habits of relating. We, we absolutely carry those into the workplace and a lot of our uh, insecurities as well as our strengths that we see manifest in our close relationships and at home are also present in the workplace. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's interesting to contextualize it in that way. So uh, immediately, rabbit holes, I love them. Um, Woo! <laughs> but I need to, yeah, I need to be careful because I know we've got limit on time on it uh, today. Um, otherwise, it would be here all night talking. Um, so thinking about. Um, your your sort of background and, and give, give us a little mix. I know I, I talked a little bit there, a little bit of, from the trailer park. You talked about your, your your parents there and then moving through uh, to other roles. What what kind of how did you how did you end up doing what you're doing there? Because there's obviously it wasn't a suddenly you've gone from there and gone right now I'm doing this. What was those steps that got you there? Yeah, so the a lot of serendipity first of all. But I, I when I went off to grad school. Um, I just happened to be in the seminar my very first year called The Psychology of Close Relationships. And I thought I was going to, to graduate school to study the psychology of women's health behaviors. But then I landed in the seminar my very first year and absolutely fell in love with it. So I was the dork who read every single page, who had my hand up, you know, teacher, teach, well, professor, professor, I have a comment, I have a question, and could not get enough of the content of the Psychology of Close Relationships course, such that by the end of just one semester, it was clear to me I needed to switch my emphasis. And so right away started studying all of these theoretical models about how it is we relate to other people, how it is other, our relationships with other people change our notions of ourself and who we are and how we show up in the world. And from there, you know, I've studied everything from hooking up to breaking up everything in between. And, you know, for over, I guess, 25 years at this point, conducting research in this area, teaching undergraduate and graduate level courses, and also thinking about how these ideas apply out there in the real world, that obviously our, our relationships are not just theoretical constructs. They really, <laughs> you know, all of us are, are navigating workplace relationships and uh, parent-child relationships and intimate relationships, all, all this stuff. So I went on from graduate school to a research fellowship at George Mason University. So it's a great big university outside of Washington, D.C. And there started to think about how these relationship theories connect with uh, incarcerated persons' uh, connections to the community at large and to the criminal community and how, how fascinating it is that, you know, we say we would like to reduce recidivism, um, but then we put people behind uh, walls such that they can't maintain relationships with their families and their communities. Instead, they're socialized exclusively, often, with other people who are part of the criminal community and what does that mean? And then after that fellowship, it was a three-year um, fellowship, I moved from Washington, D.C., all the way across the country to California, where Harvey Mudd is located. And at that point, started to think about how these relationship theories are also relevant to community building. It's at that point that I started to teach about the psychology of collaboration and trying to learn some of that literature. And at one point, um, so kind of like the Oxford model, the, the Claremont Colleges, there's some similarities there that you've got these five undergraduate institutions that are co-located on a single square mile of property. So they're totally independent. Um, right. colleges and the students can cross register. So a student from Harvey Mudd can walk across the street to Pitzer or Pomona or Claremont McKenna or Scripps 
and uh, these colleges are all independent. So uh, independent leadership, independent boards of trustees, independent finances. But there's a whole heck of a lot of potential sitting there when you have this many resources, the people, as well as the money resources, as yeah. well as these incredible students and professors and staff. And, and the question comes up, well, what could you do together that none of you could do alone? So what would compel some collaboration? Why would it be in your interest to partner, say, with that other college across the street? And the deans of these five colleges got, received a grant to, to really study this very question and to figure out, well, how do we bring our, our shared resources together um, in a way that enhances all of us as individuals? So not like, how do you, you know, in a self-sacrificial way, just be a martyr and go support the other colleges? Nothing like that. It was really like, how do you create relationships and projects and programs and services that make sense to where it makes sense to come together in service to everybody's um, individual goals as well as shared goals. So they get this grant and then they, they're like, Hey, we're going to need someone to um, run this grant. Does anyone know anyone? And my Dean happened to come to me and said, Hey, Deb, would you be interested in this thing? And I knew in a heartbeat that, yeah, this is, this is something I want to tackle. I could really yeah. see how it was going to connect and was at that for five years um absolutely loving it we did all sorts of amazing things there together and then the 2016 election happened in the united states so this is the election where donald trump uh won over hillary clinton yeah. and campuses melted down um and we saw a lot a lot of the nation melted down and because a lot of people were surprised this has ha had happened um on campuses people were feeling like people went into mourning and were wearing black it was really very dramatic and what i remember thinking is wow what as a relationships person what's going on that this feels so surprising to all of us um what does it mean about we're not being in in connection with other people who have different viewpoints and um at that point i decided to move cross country again so i went from California, 3,000 miles away to New York City. At this point, I'm a single mom. I've got an eight-year-old in tow. And I left my tenured full professorship um, to help launch a national nonprofit called Heterodox Academy, which was focused on bringing more viewpoint diversity and constructive disagreement to college campuses around really what I guess the umbrella term would be the culture wars. So differences, political differences, religious differences, uh, things like that. So I, I did that for a couple of, well, for three years, I got that organization off the ground and then it decided that really what I wanted to spend some more time on was helping people build these collaborations. So that's when, when Michael launched. Sorry, right. you got all the stepping stones so since like, you asked. That's, that's exactly <laughs> what I wanted. Uh, it, it's, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating journey is the fact that you've decided, right, I'm going to cover all of the states middle east and west and kind of just make sure you've covered them both that's well done i think that's good like a, a good technique i think i i, I don't know if you heard of the uh you i'm sure you would the baz Luhrmann song um wear sunscreen where it says uh live in new york once but don't let stay long enough to make you hard and live in los angeles once but don't stay there long enough to make you soft so it's kind of it's, you're kind of doing that kind of thing i like that i'm gonna have to look that one up i don't know it off the top of my head yeah, it's from the eighties, but it's a very it's a very good song actually. It's, it's really um, it's less sung and more spoken. Um, <clears throat> but so obviously all of those things, and especially with the um, 
uh, and the topic of your, your your book, collaboration and 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 building relationships, kind of thing with collaborative relationships. All of those facets of 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 the human being is about collaboration, isn't it? It doesn't matter if it's my daughter's sorting out the dishwasher, if it's me working with a team trying to deliver a big project, if it's you with your dean's kind of parking their self-interest for that collaborative interest for the battle, you know, or, or sorry, managing that together. Um, it's, it's collaboration all the time, isn't it? It's, it's, it's every single facet of our lives. We are collaborating with another human. And also there's always potential if we're collaborating with another human to fall out with that human and the collaboration to fail. It's, right. It's like, so, yeah. So a couple points to pull out there. One is this idea of what the heck is collaboration in the first place. So culturally, yeah. we use it in this very kind of generic way that it's any form of working yeah. together equals collaboration. And I don't think that's a horrible place to start but it also makes it mushy a little bit. It makes it hard to talk about and hard to really pin down. So yeah. I, I use the, the definition that I proffer in the book and make use of is that it's, it's when you have two or more people who, are, who know each other and they're working together intentionally toward a shared goal. So that sounds very academic, but it, it gets away from things like, oh, you know, we just both happen to care about um, the environment and therefore we're collaborating to save the earth. It's like, well, you know, if I've never met you and we're not being yeah. intentional or orchestrated in some way, then maybe we're, we're, you know, investing in something that we both care about. But I, for me, that doesn't rise to the level of collaboration. Um, and then with, when we start thinking about in the workplace, there are these, kind of this different or this gradient that underlies a lot of these relationships where you know if, if you and I are just exchanging information um, that's a form of working together but Arthur Himmelman who's an organizational development person he, he calls that networking he's like that's not collaboration you're just exchanging information but then you can go a step up where now we're actually altering our activities in some way to to meet a shared goal and that's you know coordinating that's great and then a step up from there where um, now in addition to sharing or altering our activities, we're actually sharing resources. And this is when, you know, turfiness can start to kick in. So my time, yeah. my talents, my treasure, um, that my people, my instruments, my data sets, things like that, where when we start to share those, now we're actually cooperating. And then a step up from there in his model is collaborating. And this is where, in addition to all those other pieces, we're also truly trying to learn from each other in the spirit of becoming better at what we do. So it's not that I'm right, you're wrong, I, I know how to do this and you don't know. It's like, hey, we're trying to do something together that none of us really know. Have we made space for, for that mutual learning? So that, that's one of the pieces there I think that's worth pulling out is what is collaboration in the first place? And then one of the things I hope we have time to talk about today is it's also kind of a big black box for a lot of people. Um, so yeah, it's hard because people are involved typically. There are obviously robot collaborations and all sorts of other cool things as well. But I like to talk about the people collaborations and when and people are tricky, we're messy. And when you get a whole bunch of us in a room together and say, you know, go do something, go make this work, um, there's not necessarily a roadmap for, for how to do the people parts of this. Yeah, and and I think you're right. It's it's it's, and the tra and 
the training and things like that on how to deal with those items. It's kind of um, you mentioned a quote. I've done if you've got it there that, that the project manager quote thing, which is it's, it's exactly that, isn't it? You, you were talking about it earlier, weren't we? I don't know what. You've got it there. Yeah, you, uh, I just, I just opened it yeah. up. So this is a quote from the book when I was talking to somebody who's involved in a lot of um, project management and product yeah. development. And he said, you know, there are people who are trained to project manage the crap out of the logistical parts and the technical parts, but the people parts, not at all. Or yeah. you mentioned that sometimes it's an afterthought or it might be a, a part of the training, but it's maybe not as central as it could be. And, you know, when I think about what does it mean to do together? So collaborate really means co-labor or together work, right? So what does it really mean to do together work? Well, you need to have people involved. You need to have processes involved. You need to have tools involved. And if I, again, totally biased here as a relationships person, if I had to pick one to optimize for first, I would optimize for the people first, um, knowing that really amazing you know really amazing colleagues a really amazing team they can do pretty incredible things even with crappy tools and processes so i don't know if that's a hot take or whatever but it's it seems to me very no, much I worth investing in early and often i i think that's absolutely spot on i think it is it's it's thing i always say uh, you, you you process and i don't know whether it's me you said it or someone else said it, but, but processes procedures never deliver projects if you've got brilliant processes you've got brilliant tools you've got brilliant procedures they ain't going to deliver a project. They ain't going to do anything. They're just going to sit there on a SharePoint site. The, the only thing that's going to actually make the things happen are the people. And if you don't focus, and, and some of those tools are there to enable better collaboration for the people. That, that's fine. I understand that. But sometimes it's a case of us understanding where the collaboration is. And it's really difficult because we're always, we all, none of us like change. We all uh, struggle with the um, the concept of, um, there's always that that competitiveness, especially on scarce resources. There is always a thought of, well, if I give up this time or I give up that person to go and do that, I haven't got them for this, and therefore, we're, and and being able to to kind of, and as you say, with your the, the three colleges there, being able to see the the common benefit and the the in quote sacrifice of maybe a. Um, a self-serving short-term goal for a, a wider-serving long-term goal for the the whole group is it is difficult for us to see. I think, and yeah, collab yeah, collaboration for me. Like, Go on, okay. sorry. I was just going to no, say, no, yeah, no, we no. don't collaborate because it's fun or because it's you know the right thing to do necessarily. We do it because it serves our interest or it serves the interest of yeah. the company. And when collaboration really sizzles at you know the corporate setting or even honestly i think in the nonprofit setting too where like you're better able to meet that mission whatever that mission is um it it benefits everything from timelines bottom lines the well-being of the people the the creativity yeah. and innovation that's present so it's not a it's not a nice to have it's essential and if we skip over that relationship piece and rely as you said on just the the processes and the tools to me it's like trying to cook dinner without salt it's like sure i, I could do yeah. it i mean there's something there but it's not nearly as magnificent or inspired or tasty as it would be if i had all of these ingredients together yeah yeah and, and it's it's harder to do and things like that i think with a lot of things with with um if you haven't got a level of focus i'm doing a lot of training at the moment on, on um it's harvard-based training around um, being a connected manager 
and manager kind of stuff and, and dealing with people in different points so I agree there's a lot of it's really good a lot of it I, I kind of disagreed with some bits of it not a lot of it but I think the the thing of, of it's very much focused on the people it's not focused on the procedures it's not focused on a in quotes how to manage people it's about relationships about individuality uh, and that, that sort of thing which is which is really encouraging because a lot of training I've done way back wasn't so much about that individuality and about the relationship it was a kind of if you like a stick in plaster to solve the problem of that person not doing what they need to do and and it, it that's I think in in my my profession I think there is a change and a focus away that quote before completely valid I think I think there's a change away from that focus of but there are there are you're qualified in certain tooling and, and a lot of it is the process is the procedure uh, that I think one of the ones like with PMI would I know and I think APM's got it as well is there is a a much better focus now on that people side of it and it being and, and certainly with the continuing development kind of stuff as well is around making sure that you've covered the, the topics of because they need refreshing because there's things yeah. change in society things change in the way that we react and new research and things like that was just going on a time management course back in the 80s isn't as which i did isn't as useful now as it was then some of the principles were but i i have still got an old file of facts that i had from back in the 80s that they taught you this system to do it and it's kind of that tool is is now redundant the yeah. thinking behind it is still valid but the tools redundant and yeah and i think that's the thing the tools move the processes change what needs to be done changes the people bit doesn't really change it the focus and importance of it doesn't change should i say Well, I hope you enjoyed that first episode uh, with Deb and come back next week uh, for the second part. Uh, Speak soon. Bye now. So this is my final wrap up. Every week you're going to hear this. You're going to get bored of it, but you can always click next podcast if so. Um, if you have enjoyed it, if you listen to this podcast to the end of this uh, show and you think that was great, I'd love to be able to help Nigel out. Um, there are loads of ways you can do it. Um, the, the first and, and obvious way is to um, share the podcast, send it out to people. Um, if you if you know colleagues and friends who'd benefit from it, you think they'd enjoy it, just send them the link grab one of the links or send them to www.nigelcreaser.com slash podcasts that's www.nigelcreaser.com slash podcasts and that will push them over to a um a link tree link and it's got all of the different ways they can consume the the podcast uh if you are feeling generous and have a big bag of cash you could grab a copy of one of my books obviously um uh, they're available in all the usual places and print and, and, and digital again jump on the website uh, com slash shop and that will give you a list of all the different ways that you can contribute um, and, and grab copies of the book also got 
um, links to all my guests books on there as well where I get a little bit of a kickback from them um, if you are of a sporting mind um, I have a number through doing some of my uh, judo and, and running uh, antics uh, I've managed to secure a few um, uh, affiliate links and affiliates uh, there as well so in there somewhere in the sponsors page there's links to those as well so clicking onto those and grabbing uh, your if you're with it if you're looking to uh, get super fit then that would be fabulous as well and I get a little kickback from those uh, I have a patreon account it's patreon.com slash Sunday lunch pm uh, so again you can ping something in there buy me a coffee or whatever and finally, obviously the most important is coming back, coming back, listen again, um, because uh, the more of you that come back, uh, the more uh, visibility I get, because there's more times that it's downloaded and all the SEO works and things like that. So, yeah, that's it. So, uh, if you can help me out, I would be much appreciated. If you can't, don't worry about it. Thank you very much. Cheers now. Bye. Well, it's goodbye from me, Nigel Creaser, and it's goodbye from him, the Sunday Lunch PM. Goodbye.